0: Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. I'm joined today by Crystal Guevara. Crystal, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing really, really good. I truly appreciate you coming on the show today. So as of this this recording, the the date of this recording, we've had ten episodes released. A lot of my my guests so far have been doctors, but you are like quote unquote that kind of doctor.
1: (laughs) Oh oh man! (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I'm I'm excited to to get you on. And so yeah, so for the listener, go ahead and just run through your background and your path to where you are today and what you're doing.
1: So I am a sports medicine doctor. I did my training in family medicine, and then I did my sports medicine fellowship in Las Vegas. Currently, I am a, a volunteer physician with U.S. figure skating. So I get to travel a couple times a year with Team USA, mainly to Europe, where they usually have their international events. And I also work for Renaissance Periodization which is a company that specializes in nutrition and training for, you know, high level and recreational athletes. And so I work with the online certification course, mainly that they provide. Let's see what else in the past. I was a former organic chemistry instructor. So, so I have a little bit of background with that. And I guess in my spare time I used to powerlift. Mm-hmm. My last powerlifting meet was in 2018, I think. Yep. And so now, now I'm kind of doing more of a hypertrophy style training, and then also yeah. do jujitsu in my spare oh, time. Very so. nice. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, awesome.
0: Oh. Yes, that's awesome. Well, you know, I I think if anyone's been listening to the show so far at this point, I, I really try to get on what I call a pracademic. Those are kind of really the <laughs> the people that I want, meaning like they've got a very strong foot and or background in the world of science and academia, and they've been like really well-trained, but throughout that time or currently, they're on, in the applied world. And I think, you know, everything about the field of exercise science, fitness and nutrition, it's all moving to that because people understand that. You need to you need to understand the practical world. You need to understand what you know the clients may be going through, and or the problems and issues that professionals face. Mm-hmm. So yes, you you definitely fit that mold, I would <laughs> say. So I I do have a just like a curiosity about one of your current roles, which is which is the figure skating world. Yeah. Um, how did you get hooked up with that? And then you know, from an injury standpoint. What do you typically see? Like, what are the main injuries that figure skaters deal with?
1: Yeah, great question. And I get that quite often because a lot of times people are like, were you a figure skater? And I'm like, no, (laughs) I am actually terrible on Mm skates. So so when I was um, doing my sports medicine fellowship at UNLV back in 2020, 2021, sort of the height of the COVID pandemic, U.S. figure skating kind of had stopped and they were trying to figure out where they were going to host their events because a lot of the places in the U.S. were pretty much shut down Mm -hmm. except for Las Vegas. You know, it's definitely the entertainment capital of the world. There were there was I think they got special permission to host two of their events. So the Skate America and then U.S. Nationals were both held that year in Vegas. And so. That's mainly, you know, because we were covering all of the events that were happening in Vegas. I had the opportunity to meet with Gretchen and Morin, who work with Teen USA, and I just had a great time. I really got a chance to connect with the staff, got a chance to connect with the skaters, and just really being a team player. And I hmm. think that's what really kind of got me. My foot in the door was... I was willing, you know, yeah, sure, I'm a physician, I'm a sports medicine doc, but there really just wasn't a task that you know that was too small for me to do, and I think a lot yeah. of people get sort of stuck in that kind of mentality, like I'm the doctor, I'm a sports medicine doc, <laughs> I'm at the top, these curves mm-hmm. are underneath me, mm-hmm. but you know, especially with the covid pandemic, there were so many things going on, even things such you know small as making a run to their to the CVS pharmacy to pick up medication for somebody because they hmm. couldn't leave the bubble. So, oh, and, sure. you know, being yeah. able to do that, I think that's what really sort of helped, you know, helped me kind of get involved. And it just sort of went on from there. They're like, hey, do you yeah. want to be the team doc for and travel a couple of times a year? And I was like, sure, it sounds like <laughs> a great idea to me. Yeah.
0: Well, it's just neat that you got I mean, I think at that level, such high levels, I mean, I guess at all levels, it's unfortunately kind of rare where everyone has that kind of team mindset of we're we're all in this together. But yeah, yeah, during COVID, that would have been paramount. That would have been so important. So it's cool that you had that experience. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh yeah, and as far as injuries go, I mean, you see a, a wide variety of stuff. You see la- pretty nasty lacerations from the skate, you know, kind of slicing. Uh, you do you do see some concussions, not necessarily during competition in and of itself, but mm. when during the practice mm-hmm. sessions you have multiple skaters multiple pairs of skaters on the ice and to be quite honest i think the practice sessions make me a little bit more nervous than the actual competition itself because mm-hmm. you got one got one pair there they're all by themselves um, yeah you also see just a lot of ankle and foot yeah stuff, makes a makes
0: sense
1: of the medial malleolar bursitis so you see mm. a lot of really big ankle yeah. you know stuff because they you know the amount of pressure that they put on their feet
0: Hmm. yeah so for sure so from like- a from a concussion standpoint are they running into each other is that the <laughs> issue or are they, or yeah, are they falling can. and then hitting their head on the ice both okay but,
1: but more often than not it's skaters running into each other in the middle of this because everybody's tried doing their own thing wow. during some of these sessions and it's like huh. kablam! blam
0: that is not an injury you would you would think in like Totally preventable, I would think. I mean, I understand that you know, there's always logistical challenges at at almost all levels of sport, unless you're really, right. really high level. That also happens to have a lot of money. Those scenarios typically don't have logistical issues, but yeah. you know, I was at a very small school and I was a strength coach. So like we had all the stinking time, you know, you've got <laughs> if you your in your one field house, you've got basketball on one end and track and field on another. And yeah, that it's very congested yeah not something you would think about for a you know a national level sport, but it is yes. how it goes sometimes
1: and even the size yeah. I didn't even realize that the size of the the rank yeah. so there's the competition rank which needs to be a certain size, but even with at events they have a bunch of different practice ranks mm-hmm. all over that mm-hmm. are not you know in housed in the same arena and yeah. those are all different types of sizes so you have you know I didn't realize how varied the size of the rink was like yeah. olympic versus hockey versus you know yeah so still learning
0: for sure yeah that's awesome well it's it's a really sounds like a very cool opportunity and so today today's episode we are going to discuss injury we are going to discuss about the, this return from injury and mm-hmm. i mean if you're if you're anyone who's been training hard for any length of time, or if you're a sport uh, like a field court sport athlete or a serious athlete, yeah, you you're gonna get injured at some point. <laughs> like it just is inevitable, and we'd like to think that it won't happen, and we obviously try to mitigate it as much as possible. But you know, coming back from it's tricky. Let's see 20, 2015, I had a, a back incident where. I was getting ready for a deadlift day one day and I, I was warming up, not even lifting yeah. yet, just warming up, I pop, pop in my back. I hit the floor oh. bam, down, I was on the floor for about 30 minutes, just, just literally trying to get up come and on. yeah, that started my journey of, okay, we're going to, you got to come back from this. And yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I, I would say I didn't turn a corner to where it was not a daily thing until 2020. Oh man. And re- re- honestly, it was the pandemic yeah. forcing me to stay off my feet a little bit more, or the stress level was just a little bit lower. You know, I had to train at home. So obviously, my training style was a little bit different, or what I could do was different. I, you know, I didn't feel like I had to have a barbell or whatever, or do these certain things. Yeah, that's crazy. It was like, you know, five, six year journey. And uh, that is pretty common. And I know that you have had your own experience with, with some injury. So why don't you go ahead and just, if you, if you can just briefly touch on what that has been and how has that informed like your view of how important this topic is? Hey everyone, before we continue with the episode, I want to let you know how you can get 25% off some of the top supplement brands in the market. This includes brands like Thorne, Designs for Health, Designs for Sport, Clean nordic naturals and more you can do this through creating a free account on fullscript.com here's the cool thing about fullscript they have their own vetting process when it comes to all the supplements uh, on their website so any company that wants to sell their products must prove to fullscript that they have the highest quality manufacturing practices and protocols in place. When you go to the link in the show notes, you can create a completely free account and have access to all of Fullscript's supplements that they offer. You will also be able to see specific supplements that I recommend, that I personally have vetted, and I like their formulations. So again, go to the show notes, click on the Fullscript link, and you can make a free account. Thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the episode.
1: Man. Great question. So I, back in 2018, I really had my first serious injury that I can recall, Mm -hmm. Um, at least one that was acute and sort of really impacted my day-to-day life. So I was still a family medicine resident and training around 2018. I think this was after my powerlifting days were sort of over, but I was still training like a powerlifter. And I had, I think, 255, 255 pounds on my back. And I was squatting for sets of five, six, mm-hmm. you know, nothing, nothing too crazy, nothing too out of control. And I just remember t- towards the last set, I think I had three or four sets. I around set three, I was in the hole and something just didn't feel right coming <laughs> back up. Mm-hmm. And of course, I I just kind of looked at, thought to myself, like, maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm sleep deprived. Did yeah. that really happen? Let me go <laughs> yes. down. Let me let me try that. Let me re-rack. All right. And then let me try that again. And I remember going down and trying to come back up. And I had to dump the bar mm. and, like, fall forward just because I, I was like, oh, nope. That sharp pain in my right knee is real. Yeah. And, you know, let's put it down. Let's you know, see if I can, you know, do anything with body weight stuff. So body weight squat was out of the picture. So I, you know, was like, all right, we're just not going to squat. Was still able to do good mornings with no pain whatsoever. And then the rest was sort of upper body work. So able to do that. So I finished that, came back in the next day and tried to warm up with the bar and couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, holy what am I going to do? I'm a resident. I'm not going to go see a doctor. And so
0: it's
1: just, <laughs> it's just, yeah, like I, I'm not going to take a day off to go, go to the doctor, especially as a, a resident in training. So I did the next best thing. I had one of my colleagues who was also applying for sports medicine fellowship at the time. I was like, hey, can you need to come on me? Yeah. Jam <laughs> on me and see what's going on. And did all the tests like my all of my ligaments worked fine my meniscus was fine yep you know and so you're like well it looked like you have patellofemoral pain syndrome looked like you know you've irritated your kneecap you know the joint like the joint between your patella and your kneecap and your femur like here you go here's a handout on patellofemoral pain syndrome from the i don't know if you've ever seen the patient the patient advisor it's like Mm -hmm. a very it's a a kind of a book of like handouts they okay. give patients it's yeah. a very common book that we have for sports yeah. med like musculoskeletal stuff handed me the the paperwork and was like here take some you know anti-inflammatory meds and do these exercises and you should be good and like all right fine at least nothing's broken like seriously yeah. injured
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so i started to take a look at the patellofemoral pain syndrome Handout that I mm-hmm. was given, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I started looking at it and I'm like, so one, all of this was pertaining to running, which I am not a runner. Yep. No. Oh. And then it was giving me recommendations such as strengthen your quad muscle, oh. and I kind of looked at this like, you know, my one rep max is in this like three thirty, three thirty five. Yeah. I think my quads are okay. My quads are okay. <laughs> And then the stuff was like mostly stretches, like, you know, do like a hamstring stretch, a standing hamstring stretch. And I was like, well, I could just do good mornings with, you know, 135, which is my working weight with no pain whatsoever. Like none of this actually makes sense, at least to me. And yeah, and, and I think the other thing that I realized as a sports medicine fellow was that man, athletes, ha- collegiate athletes have it great, they yes. have an athletic trainer who is like following up with them every single day on the yeah. status of their injury. They're reporting that to the physician who's then reporting that to the coach. Yeah, You know, they're, they have, they just have it really good. Whereas I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not a collegiate athlete. I got to sort of figure this out on my own. And I just got a handout from my colleague who I respect a lot. Like, don't get me wrong. Very knowledgeable because I probably would have done the same if I had diagnosed him with that. But now I'm taking a look at these exercises and I'm like, one, none of these apply to me. And two, how the hell am I going to get back to this powerlifting style training that I love so much without, you know, further in, you know, making my knee worse?
0: yeah so but yeah you're not you're not someone who's just trying to get back to like pain-free walking or pain-free yeah. ac- activities of daily living you're someone yeah. who's trying to get back to a high level strength sport like <laughs> the <clears throat> unfortunately the thing that they tell you to do which is strengthen the quads that's kind of how you <clears throat> got yourself into this mess
1: <laughs> exactly and, oh, I this doesn't really apply yeah. and then you know okay so i'm going to go to physical therapy and i've There also in America there is a huge difference between physical therapy to get you past your injury and get back to activities of daily living, Mm -hmm. and then physical therapy like sport performance, which is completely separate. It's also not covered by insurance, which most of the time, which makes it even more difficult. You know, if I'm already in this you know predicament, I'm already spending a lot of time. I just got out of six weeks of PT now now i have to like not only do more pt sport performance pt but i also have to pay out of pocket like where
0: yeah it's huge gap it's so tough to navigate and yeah it's no wonder that people struggle coming back from you know injuries that they're not even catastrophic they're not like you said your all your ligaments and your meniscus were fine but it's still something that impacted your performance and oh yeah you have to work around it and you have to deal with it. I was the exact same way with my back. Like I had no herniations, by all accounts. Like I, I'm, I'm quote unquote fine. But past that, really initial PT and getting you back to in a progressive way where you were at, and hopefully yeah. continuing to exceed where you were at because you still want to keep training and progressing. Right. There's just not much help. So. Yeah, where'd you go next, like, how did you start to work back from it? And then, you know, we can get into some some rec- <clears throat> recommendations for other people.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I cried a few times. No, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I'm with you. Definitely felt like the world was coming to an end. And, um, you know, I got to credit my husband Mike for kind of keeping me on the straight and narrow as this whole process sort of unfolded because yeah it because not only was that that gym time like it was my it not only was it important physically but as a resident you know high pressure situation like that was my place to unwind yeah, and
0: absolutely squats,
1: you know so um we had a very long conversation about where, where do you see yourself you know a month from now two months from now what are your goals you know how much are you willing to you know, do the work to get to this place because it's and I think tempering my expectations of like, I'm going to get back in four to six weeks and I'm going to be squatting, you know, 255 for multiple reps again was you just have to, you know, I, I'm i all about low expectations <laughs> in, these, <laughs> I should, yeah. in these situations just because it, it is such a it is such a dynamic process. Tissue healing is a dynamic process. You have to ride that fine line of you need to provide enough stimulus to the tissues to facilitate healing. But if you go too far, you can actually make things worse. And so what we did was he, you know, killed my expectations of squatting for the next couple of mesocycles, not just yeah. one mesocycle. It, I think it was two mesocycles of not squatting at all before mm-hmm. I finally had a barbell on my back. Yeah. Yeah. So we did, we set up my mesocycle where I was basically, for squats, I was doing body weight squats and I was pretty much stopping at that point towards the hole and I was pausing right at that edge of pain. So, which is a very difficult thing to kind of describe to people, but you wanted to, we wanted to make sure that I was still able to do stuff and see how much I could tolerate. Yeah. Without putting a weight on my back. So that was eight weeks of that. Mm-hmm. And then for, you know, to still elicit some sort of stimulus to the quads, I was able to find machines that didn't irritate my knee. So yeah. I lucked out. I was able to do leg presses. Mm-hmm. So and very early on, it was very much high rep. We're talking about the sets, which reps of between 20, 10, 10 to 25. Yep, reps per set we're not doing heavy singles we're not doing heavy triples yep. no no you know
0: mm-hmm. so
1: really taking it down to you know body weight and once i progressed from from that i could now start to put a barbell on my back and with very low weight weights that you would think that i used to warm that i would warm up with so i think when i finally got that barbell on my back around Months three, it was 135, which is a warm up weight for me. And I was doing sets of 10 to 20 reps per set, really making sure I'm providing some sort of stimulus without really managing, without messing with the load. And I think that's where people get really tripped up is they, you know, the first thing they want to do is manage their load. They were like, I just want to see how much I can push you know, very early on, which is like the worst idea in the world. So A good
0: old, see where I'm at.
1: <laughs> yes. My buddy, Quinn,
0: my buddy, Quinn Hennick, he talks about yeah. this all the time. Like, he's like, oh, will see where I'm at. Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> don't do oh, it. Oh
1: man, no, don't. You fight it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, yeah. And it's really, it, it wasn't until, gosh, I think six, five or six months. That Mm -hmm. I really started to push that the the load on the bar. And so I think it took me about seven months to finally get my knee back to a place where I could actually squat in the hole with 225, 230 on my back. And then COVID hit. (laughs) 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 So,
0: yeah, um, screech, screech to a halt there.
1: Yeah. But did COVID
0: end up kind of helping you from that perspective or what? I guess, how did you have to adjust?
1: So we had to, we just had to find a gym. Mm. So we ended up rigging something in our, in our condo building. So we had, we had a rooftop. And so we tried to set up a squat rack in, on our roof with some tarp, which got taken, which got blown away a couple of (laughs) times. (laughs) (laughs) So I squatted in my living room a couple of times and, Really just making sure and I think that also actually I think that also forced me to not use a heavy load because I can't dump the bar on my wooden, you know, nice kitchen floor. And I'm (laughs) also we were also on the second floor too, because I don't think my neighbors would appreciate it. No, probably not. Yeah. Definitely kept me good about my technique, making sure to really control the eccentric, control the pause, come up with control. And I think that's Really, where I sort of kind of moved from kind of a more of a powerlifting style kind of technique, where you're really your your objective is to get and yes. push as much weight as possible. Weight. So mm-hmm. yeah, so trying to bounce out of the hole that has since stopped. Yep. Really yep. bouncing the bar off my chest when I bench that has yep. since stopped. And yeah, uh, mm-hmm. so that's kind of you know. So COVID has its ups and downs, but definitely, you know, exerting control with my technique was the big take home that I got from this.
0: Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of great things we can unpack with that. So it's like with the rest of our time, there's some guidelines I'd really love to help people with. So number one, you mentioned that you had to basically... Just always be navigating this idea of tolerance, like what can I tolerate mm-hmm. or what should I tolerate? Like that's, I think that's the bigger one. What should I tolerate? What not what I can? Because I think a lot of the a lot of the comeback is about like this balance between should and can. You can do it, um, but should you do it? And right, I think the should side, you know, it just tends to be a lot less than we would want. Like it's a lot less than we think. So. How how can people navigate? And you know, we're not going to get into very specific injuries. We just can't. Right. But you know, these we're generally talking about things that you know I had kind of non-specific back issues. Crystal had kind of non-specific patellofemoral pain or whatever it is. Elbow, wrist, you name it. This is kind of what we're talking about. Like these, these nagging things where nothing might be structurally damaged, but it's affecting you. So you mm-hmm. need to allow time for either tissue healing or that. Irritation to just die down, but then if you come back too quickly, it's just going to flare up again. So, how can we help people just navigate this comeback process?
1: I think the first thing to do is, you know, taking a look at like just general timelines. I know that we we're not you know trying to talk about because every injury and approach to injury is different, but I think there are some general guidelines that we can kind of take from this. So, when you look at the stages of tissue healing, just general stages of tissue healing. So, looking at timelines, so the first seven to ten days of, you know, in, in an acute injury, that is a good time to either take a deload, to take some active rest, really let that injury sort of die down. Find something else that doesn't aggravate the injury. So for me, training my upper body all day every day for that week was totally fine, and then that takes a couple days, and then the whole repair process can take a up to a couple of weeks. So the whole six to eight weeks, you know, doctors generally say six to eight weeks, you should be back to, you know, you should be all good to go after that. Like there is truth to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of the time, this is kind of the period and you want to make sure that like, yes, you're going to be in this repair process. It usually takes a couple of weeks. So here is where you can start to utilize high rep, low weight training and um, mm-hmm. And then from there, so the remodeling process is where people really start to get into trouble because that can take up to a couple of months, Sure. To even a couple of years, depending on the injury. And that is the part where you really want to start to ramp up your training process. So, you know, for people trying to come back too soon, trying to come back during the repair process, you know, you're three weeks out from the injury like now is not the time to do heavy singles not yep. the, the test it to see where i'm at because strength will be there the strength is there you you know and i think people forget that people tend to you know see well i've lost it i i need to make sure it's there like no it, it's there i promise you it's still there you just need to still you're dealing with an injury and we need to build you back up to to get you to where yeah. you're going
0: yeah. So, so during during the the ramp up, yeah. If people are experiencing pain in the area or anything like that, like what are your guidelines or, or I guess suggestions with how how much to push that? You no, know, because we can't. So it's, it's going to be there, right? Like if you avoid all pain, then you're not going to build up any tolerance right. anymore, and you're not right. kind of reconditioning the tissue, so to speak. So what's your recommendation with that?
1: So, I think the the as far as pain goes, and it's hard because pain is so subjective to people, I think anytime you have a really sharp, nasty pain, I think mm-hmm. that is a good place to stop yeah. uh, usually, and I think universally, all around really sharp pain, probably not something that you want to actually like work through. I think stopping right before you get there. You want some mild discomfort. So I guess if we were doing this on a numerical scale where 10 is the worst pain you've ever felt, sharp, discomforting pain, and zero is no pain at all. Yeah. I would say somewhere between a three and a five, like it it is going to be uncomfortable. And I remember pushing my knee, stopping right where, right in the hole with the body weight squats. It was uncomfortable. It, It was not, you know, it was not the greatest thing. And it wasn't just the pain part. It was the fear because you also okay. need to get over that mm. as well, because naturally your body, for a lot of people, naturally the body is going to want to hesitate yeah. and avoid that type of you know pain again. So I would say you'd want a very mild discomfort versus like something sharp, nasty. Yeah. And if it recreates that same pain you felt on the initial injury, stop stop shy of
0: it sure yeah i mean i think sometimes it's just easy to forget about things or certain certain methods or uh maybe even convince yourself that it's okay like in in the, <laughs> in the sport of powerlifting i mean i don't know maybe you can tell me this maybe it's changed like a partial range of motion squat is like oh is this okay <laughs> am i gonna be judged for this and like of course, you've got like the people like Astograss grass or nothing. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, you you are in a sport where you have a very defined depth that is needed to hit to complete to the sport. But yeah, you're not in the sport right now. Like if you're if you're coming back from injury, you ain't competing. So right, it's this all or nothing approach to things that everyone gets lost in, especially coaches and especially people who like really care about their performance. And sometimes, unfortunately, the worst people are the professionals (laughs) at it. Like, since, yeah.
1: Trying to, like, are you having a competition with Instagram? Like, I I don't know what you're doing. Like, if your goal is to compete back at a high level, then you need to actually strategically plan out your mesocycles such that it leads to this competition. So even pre-powerlifting means, like, it's not like I would do heavy singles you know, for months at a time prior to the meet, like you peak for a meet. The last mm-hmm. mesocycle leading into the leading up to the actual event itself is where you're doing heavy doubles, heavy, you know, even a heavy single, you know, yeah. four or five months out. I'm not doing I'm not doing any of that. No. So. Why do you need to test to see where you're at right now it's
0: yeah, it's, it's the there. same concept your your new your new peak or what you're what you're prepping for is is has shifted it's a different different goal yeah. now now let's say let's say somebody they go through a session and maybe they're really being good and they're lightening the load they're going a little bit higher mm-hmm. rep and they don't experience any pain mm-hmm. and they're like oh that I'm pretty good like I felt really good yeah." And then yeah. the next time they maybe go a little bit more and they still don't experience pain. But then, you know, maybe a day or two later, it's like, whoa, something's going on. How how about that scenario? Because I think there's that scenario too, where the, someone will go through a session and they really put a lot of stock in how they feel in that specific session and yeah. then maybe make too much of a leap in the next one and get themselves into trouble. So are there any things that we can, you know, look at with regards to how you feel after training uh, that will also kind of help dictate what we should do in the, in the following session or upcoming sessions.
1: Yeah. To be, to be honest, I've actually had that happen with my adductor, Mm -hmm. my left adductor. I was deficit sumo deadlifting. Things felt okay. And then the next, like the next day I woke up and I couldn't walk. Oh no. (laughs) So I definitely think those are important to try and keep you know, in mind. Also, it depends on how the pain is and where. Like, is it a sore type of pain? Are we recreating the injury? And I think there's still some room for play. So, if somebody does their squats, you know, still feeling really good that session, and then comes back to me the next day, like I I don't feel so great. This is too much. Then I would definitely either consider, depending on how bad the pain is, consider bringing that load back down bringing down that volume maybe having to take you know having to restart all over again having to take some time off of squats and then slowly reintroducing squat back into the picture yeah using that example yeah so there are no firm you know like oh every mesocycle is when you can like yeah. adjust something it it, yeah. it you can adjust stuff between them you know within the microcycle.
0: yeah for sure I mean, this is how training becomes, especially once you get a little more advanced in your career and or training ages. like, it's already nonlinear, like training, yeah. even if you're healthy <laughs> is nonlinear, it's a nonlinear process of progress. Yeah. And I would say when you're coming back from injury, that's even more true. So I just want to go, hop back for just a second. So when yeah. like you're working with someone and they're having pain, post session, meaning like 24 to 40 hours after, do you yeah. do you kind of follow still that three to five out of 10 discomfort level of pain? Or do you have anything that you look at there?
1: I think it, yeah, it really does depend on if it's three to five, but if it's, you know, I'm having some issues with activities of daily living, that's mm-hmm. a bigger like yeah. red flag. Like we really need to tone this down. Is it I'm feeling really sore and beat up? Like I'm getting the same amount of stimulus that I would if this was peak week for within my mesocycle, then
0: if it's like kind of falls within the realms of normal soreness that you would experience in training.
1: Right. With like high volume, but lower weight training, then yeah, I'd be like, well, you know, let's let's see what you can do. You know, Mm -hmm. let's move forward and see how how you feel. But if it's, you know, I can't move, I can't walk. I can't reach overhead, Yeah, we need to take a step back and really think about like, did we make something worse or do we need to send you back to the provider for, you know, making sure that the injury is still okay? Like, did you do something else to it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's say someone has strung together a few weeks, maybe a mesocycle or two with, and and things are progressing nicely. Mm -hmm. you know they've managed discomfort they've had sessions where it's more less whatever it may be yeah and then i think the next step is always like all right when can i go back to quote unquote normal when can (laughs) i when can i plan my mesocycles in a normal way like is there a certain amount of time that i mean there obviously is not going to be a cutoff time like this is the three mesocycles is the magic mesocycle number but Again, what are some things people can look at, think about, pay attention to when it's time to really ramp things up from a return to quote unquote normal?
1: Yeah, I think once, so once you can do high, you know, for your set, at each set, you can do a high number of reps. You've increased the amount of sets in your, within a work session. Lastly, so no pain, feeling pretty good, feeling all right. Then you can really start to ramp up the load. And and as you ramp up the load, you can start decreasing, start decreasing the amount of reps and sets Uh, typically between a mesocycle or two, because you don't want to jump from like 135 to like 350 all in one (laughs) shot. Yeah. So depending on where you're starting from or as far as your rehab goes, um, you know, so as long as you can do high amount of volume with very little to no discomfort it then you can start to play with you know the, the number on your you know on, yeah, the on your back yeah right and so uh, and people want to do it backwards they want to do the intensity first mm, and it's just
0: yeah like, and I guess if no. there was
1: one thing I could tell people like save intensity for the last piece to- <laughs> <laughs> <Right>.
0: yeah exactly <laughs> again think back to regular training how you would peak for something or how you just can't be at that level all the time you just can't do it
1: <laughs> even doing sets like even changing the amount of reps and sets you do like not you know power lifters can really benefit from taking some time off to switching their training to a yep. whole different thing so it, it actually makes them a better athlete in the long run
0: yeah so. yeah i mean i was gonna bring this up a little later too and i think You you can tell based on my facial expression, my thoughts on this, but I mean, a sport like powerlifting that's so specific, like you're worried about basically one quality and that is force. Like how much force can I produce irrespective of time? And when you are doing that on, on specific lifts, specific movements that when you get to a certain level, there's only like very, very few ways that can be accomplished. Yeah. You know, so you tend to get really, really good at a very small bandwidth movement. Power. Yeah. And you kind of hinted at it earlier with like changing the uh, the style or changing, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, powerlifters, this is really, they're really familiar with this, changing the bar, changing stance. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. when you are injured, those are just amazing opportunities to tr- to do some of that stuff. again you've got to ramp up to it. Like, don't just go max effort sumo deadlift. If you haven't sumo deadlifted in a few years or whatever, like you've got to ramp up that smartly too. But you know, don't forget about that stuff like all the time. (laughs) Now, like, you know, in my situation, my, my gym has barbells, dumbbells up to 50 and kettlebells up to 70. That's it. We have nothing else really. So, but in that situation, you can still do it. Tempo pauses, you know, variations. Like I think, you know, pausing isometrics are, are getting more popular. Like they, they, they've gained a lot more attention recently, but in addition to like along with high rep and when we talk high rep, you know, <laughs> powerlifting, what's high rep, what's Hard. cardio, anything <laughs> over five reps is I'm cardio. No, we're talking 20, 25 reps. Like you were talking earlier, maybe even, maybe even higher with isos. I mean, I, I wouldn't be afraid to experiment with like really long isos, like a minute or something where, like I even in the past would do just like a single arm dumbbell bench and Mm -hmm. hold it right right above chest level for a minute each side. You know, those are good times to experiment with stuff like that, experiment with partials, experiment Mm -hmm. with overcoming ISOs. And then another big thing that I think gets missed a, a lot is just the general GPP aspect. When you're injured, I think is a great time to (laughs) <laughs> With it within like a relative sense, build up your aerobic capacity, oh, yeah, and your strength will be there, like strength is a pretty slow, deteriorating quality. and if you're really, really strong, you're like yes, on a relative basis, you won't be there like you want to be, but you'll get back really, really quickly, and I promise if you build that base of Gpp oh, or like you even mentioned earlier, like make now you've entered a technical phase can you can you work in variations that will? Maybe hammer a technical flaw that you know you've had that you've just ignored because mm-hmm. you don't want to go. You don't want to like take go back and, and address it. Got injury is a great time to do it. So maybe you're doing. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about like where people really struggle on deadlift. That I see a lot is like off the floor, where mm-hmm. they just have like like the stripper deadlift where their butt just pops up like like immediately in the knees straight out and, and it just becomes an RDL from there, uh-huh. like. You know, now see how doing a one inch pause off the floor feels. So like lift it up, break the floor, pause for two seconds, make sure your back position, hip position, shoulder position are all good. And then you lift it. That's a natural, it's going to improve your technique. It's going to Mm -hmm. temper the amount of weight you can do. And this is obviously assuming that pain free. But just stuff like that. That I mean, have fun with it. Almost, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh man, just even going back, even going back a couple of years and looking at my squat technique. Not even from you know, sure I bounced out of the hole, but just overall, it's like, oh, I like. I thought I had good tech. I thought I had pretty good technique back then. (laughs) Looking at these old videos of myself, like, oh, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe not. But yeah, always a good chance, like you said, utilizing controlling your technique improving on that at a lower weight because if you can't do it at a little lower weight oh. what makes you think you're going to do it at higher weights like yeah you're it. just going
0: to revert back to old habits yeah yeah definitely so last thing before we kind of wrap up today i yeah. just i do want to ask about warning signs and red flags like know you i'm the same way by the way i looked <laughs> at videos back in the day before my injury and i'm like okay oh. i i see I see where this might have happened or why this might have occurred. <laughs> but here's what I also did is I, again, sometimes the worst people are the professionals. The the people are really serious. They just ignore the warning signs. And were there warning signs happening with you at all that you kind of look back on? You're like, oh, man, I really should have paid more attention to that before it got, you know, hit the tipping point.
1: Oh, definitely me bouncing out of the hole. I'm looking back at that one. The actual I have the video. Right before I had injured myself, and like all of my sets, my knees were just wobbling all mm. over the place. Mm-hmm. Just looked like a doing the stanky leg something. <laughs> there or you go.
0: Okay, we've got the stripper um, deadlift, and now we've got the stanky leg well, squat. This well, is great, man.
1: <laughs> so you know, and and I don't know how if I you know I guess probably if I had to go back and I was going to be a powerlifter again, I'd probably no, no, narrow my stance a little bit, but mm. that's just based off of my own leverages. I mean, my powerlifting background has definitely helped me, but I do remember there were a couple of times where I was covering football mm. and I had a football player tell me that they can't lift today because or squat today because their knee hurts when they squat. I was like, is your knee hurt right now? No. Show me how you squat. And <laughs> I I think I think this person was a running back. Just okay. very long legs. Sure. Very, you know, very thin, very dynamic person. And yeah. was trying to squat, like, you know how I don't know if you keep keep up with like the I female IPF like lifters like Marissa and uh yeah. like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the 47, like they have a very narrow stance. Yeah. Like yeah. And, and basically uh-huh. look, you know, and he's trying to do this as his legs are folding together. And I'm like, hey man, your legs are really long why don't you bring your stance out just a Mm. tad? Yep. And he was, and he does a perfect squat. And it's like, does your knee hurt? Yeah. He's like, no, I don't want. There you
0: go. You just found a new squat stance, buddy. Yeah, exactly. It's like trying to force, you know, force these positions. Yes. You obviously want uh, like, you know, multiple, you don't want to just live in a narrow, narrow bandwidth with how you complete movements, but you also have to respect your just natural anatomy. And yeah, if you're a long-limbed, short-torso person, you will squat differently than a long-torso, short-limbed, short-legged person. It's just going to, it just has to be how it is. So anyway, I didn't mean to interject too much, but yeah. Are there any other warning sign things? Like, did you feel anything in your knee at all that indicated that something might be going on?
1: Really just the sharp pain. And I only had that pain. At the bottom of the squat. Okay. Things were a little sore. Yeah. Walking around because I was also doing a lot of office work. So sitting in a chair Mm. was a little bit uncomfortable, but it was nothing like being at the bottom of a squat with a barbell on my back. Like that pain was usually, you know, it takes a lot for me to dump the bar. So, and I, it was just like lightning. Bye girl. Bye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean yeah sharp pain that's something you need definitely need to pay attention to, or like you know my thing was gosh, I don't even like to like mention it it's so embarrassing you know, okay. but like i I would literally warm up for forty five minutes before touching a barbell, you know, foam roll for fifteen, mm-hmm. and then general dynamic, everything for another fifteen, and yeah. then I'd get to the barbell, and it's like that. Right. That should not be happening, but you should not need yeah. that to even just get to a specific warm-up, you know
1: right and yeah. it it's so common though, it's mm. so common you have a lot of people who yes. are spending a very long time warming up, and it's just like, well, can we address what's going on? like yes. let's address the elephant in the room, and it's the fact that you know you're dealing with an injury, yeah, which you know, if we can do something and work around it, man. It kills me that people spend that long you know just to get to the bar,
0: yes, to the yeah, actual movement, exactly, which then kills your perception of like, can I even train today, do I have two yeah. hours two and a half hours, and right. that's just a vicious cycle that you 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 enter that like if you if you're in that situation, like your body's trying to tell you something that yeah. something's off. Yeah. You know, obviously, you're gonna have specific times. Maybe a training cycle you're doing like function like an overreaching phase, and yes, you might need an extra yeah. time. Yeah. In general, if you need more than ten to fifteen minutes to to, to start a specific warm up, then I I I think you and I would both suggest yeah. that. let's take a you look know. at something. Let's let's maybe switch something up. But yeah, Crystal, this has been some some great information. So RP has yes. has kind of something in the works and i think it might be released by the time this episode drops but uh yeah. you know you actually have something that might help people with this process though right so why don't yeah. you go ahead and, uh, yeah just talk about that for a little bit
1: so rp is coming out with a hypertrophy app which you know kind of helps people choose their mesocycle and i i think the nice thing is about this is at least for me, I've always outsourced my training. Like I love talking mm. about training. I love yeah. learning about training, but the decision fatigue for m- picking my yes. own, designing oh my, my own stuff is real. So I true. had, I've paid, you know, one-on-one coaches at RP yep. and then I married Mike. So yep. I, I've <laughs> had that yep. sort of kind of thing, but it is made it so, so much easier Cause he, you know, has been like, I here's this app. I'm going to stop writing your programs. Let's mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me what you think about it. And it's really taken a lot of the guesswork out of, you know, and the decision fatigue out of creating your own mesocycle for getting jacked, yeah. you know, for hypertrophy. So it has it such that you can swap exercises out. Like if I'm going traveling, I can, you know, swap an exercise out for that session or throughout the rest of the mesocycle. It auto-regulates your sets and your target reps. Well, that's cool. Uh, you know, as it progresses throughout the mesocycle. Yeah. And so and then it really keeps track of your joints, your, the pump, how, you know, did you recover the, from the previous session? So it takes all of that into consideration as it, you know, goes through the mesocycle and designs, you know, what your target reps and sets are.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I haven't written my own training since, gosh, I don't know how long. It's... <laughs> Cause yeah, just like we're talking about, we're the, some of the worst when it comes to injury. We're also some of the worst when it comes to writing our own training. And uh, if you're a professional, and don't ever feel bad about outsourcing that stuff, because no. it will help you so much. Yeah. And then you know, from from a hypertrophy getting jack standpoint, a little a little bit maybe a little further in the future, definitely further in the future. Yes. You've got a book coming out. Are you working on a book? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: working on a book with uh, Dr. Mike and Jared Feather on bodybuilding anatomy. Yeah, So we will see you. Yeah. We have a lot of, we have a lot of words
0: that are already put together. So. Good. Yeah. I like hearing that. <laughs> so for, to if anyone's was like, what? So yeah, this is going to be with Human Kinetics. I, I am actually the editor. <laughs> I'm the content editor, so like you know, hearing that lots of words are down that that make my heart happy, and I like to hear that. So, but I, I absolutely, uh no no fears that there would be plenty to say. So, all right, awesome. Yeah, so definitely in the show notes, I'll have a link to the apps, link to all of Crystal's social media, things like that, and be on the lookout for the book. And in a in a, in a yeah, probably a year or two, <laughs> to be honest, but it's coming. It's going to be awesome. And Crystal, just so, thanks so much for your time today.
1: So much for having me. It was great to chat with you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.